What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. This is episode 121, and we got a banger, right? We have the head strength and conditioning coach at the All Blacks. What is your official title? I don't want to mess it up, coach. Yeah, brother. Nice to, nice to be on the podcast, gentlemen. Um, head S&C of the All Black Sevens, so it's a hybrid version of rugby. It's an Olympic sport, so it's a slightly different model. It's a basically play a tournament style but yeah come from Canada Toronto originally a hockey player my whole life I've um, gotten to rugby in the summer so um, it's kind of a progression moving over to the southern hemisphere to work and study and rugby so those are my two sports I love contact sports and if I didn't make it as a professional athlete I wanted to be in sports so that's that's where I kind of led to be in sports science S&C and uh, it's probably the path for a lot of us that um, us ex-athletes trying to make it that become involved in S&C sports science. So yeah, it's kind of kind of where the journey let, uh, carried me to. Amen to that. How did you end up in New Zealand from Canada? I mean, our listeners have to be wondering that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a bit of a nomad, so uh, I travel around quite a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I studied up in Northern Ontario for my undergrad, and then they didn't really have any sports science S&C type postgraduate studies or masters or PhDs and really good programs in Canada at the moment. So I looked uh, looked all over the world for about six months and then I found a spot in Australia that was an unbelievable S&C sports science program. It's in a place called Perth, Western Australia. Um, it has a Edith Cowan University, if you guys know about it, it's a really good S&C master's program and master's research program. So yeah, I popped over there for uh, my master's and get a really good experience. They have a really good foundation in, in sports science and applied. So you get based with teams, you work with teams. It's not just all clinical. So it was quite a cool, cool setup awesome. down there. Plus you're on the beach, you can surf, you can hang out, you can barbecue. It's there 80 to 100 degrees all year. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. sound too bad. Good um, uh, you mentioned liking contact sports. What would you say is kind of the biggest similarity between the two sports? Because, like I said, we have coaches in rugby and in hockey. Anybody that does any crossover or works with multiple sports, what's kind of the similarity <laughs> you found? Yeah, lots of similarities in terms of athlete preparation, right? So the goal is to have more momentum, produce more force than the person in front of you. So there's a lot of similarities in terms of training. You're always going to squat. You're always going to do explosive movements. You're always going to do plows. You're always going to throw. You're always going to use your body weight the best you can to get through or around an athlete. So still an evasion sport like hockey, rugby, NFL. Probably the dis difference, main differences will be how the energy systems are combined. So rugby's a like soccer, 80-minute game. In a, well, 15's rugby, 80-minute game continuous. So you need a high aerobic base because you're on the field the whole time. Where NFL, you're on and off the field. Ice hockey, you're on for maybe a minute, off for two minutes. So it's how you prepare the body for those demands. But then I work in sevens, which is even different than 15s. It's a 15 or 14 minute game. You play two seven minute halves, play three games a day. And that's day one. And then day two is finals day. You play quarters, semis, and finals on day two. So it's always a tournament style. In seven, so it's a different. If you've never been to a sevens tournament, there's a LA sevens in the U.S. It's an awesome atmosphere. People get dressed up, party, and it's a big, big festival of rugby. It's really cool, really cool, and all these different cultures and nations come together, like Fijians, Samoans, Tongans, 
Americans, everyone in one place, Canadians, Englishmen, everything. So it's like uh, a different world, the sevens world. So if you think of those two sports, it's a lot higher intensity because the game's shorter. So you have a lot, mm -hmm. and there's a lot more space on the field because it's seven versus seven on the paddock at one time. If you is guys there need more me to clarify, or less contact in sevens for any of our listeners? There's less, there's less large impacts in sevens. There's still just as much contact, just not as much large impact. Athletes are slightly smaller than 15s players. So I'm working a metric system. They're all between 190 and 230, 240 max in sevens, where 15s, they can go from 190 up to buddy, 290. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, the impacts are slightly different in those two sports. <laughs> what are any of the crossovers, not only with the sport, but like kind of the mindset between the two sports? Is it, you know, training those athletes? Are they similar mindsets in hockey and in rugby, whether it be the sevens or the 15s? Like what's the, what's it like connecting with those athletes? I guess the biggest thing would be culturally how the sports have been found in terms of I can compare hockey and rugby because rugby is, has a really uh, deep-rooted culture around like grassroots and foundation so it's like a, a family first kind of culture it's a uh, feels more like a family than a business in a sense so there's lots of family days they sing and they sing in the morning before meetings of Fijian guys has a guitar and they play Fijian and Samoan songs and every morning that everyone's in a meeting together you sing start your day and you're off to the races, so it's a bit different model than, than NF, uh, NHL, where it's pure professional, that athlete's responsible for themselves, and they come in, You make sure he makes sure he gets what he needs from everyone before he trains, where rugby, you have to come in. It's, it's like a national program. You have to come in, do the gym, do this, do that, and you're, you're kind of set with what condition you do with the team. Um, so it's a slightly different model than hockey. They're both good models. There's a bit more... Uh, responsibility for your, yourself as an NHL player, right? You have to take it, take it into your own hands sometimes and make sure you're prepared to play the games. Where in rugby, it's a team unit, national program, and you, you do all the sessions together, the meetings, the connections, the culture. So it's a really strong, probably one of the reasons is uh, Pacific Islands. There's all these, all these Pacific nations playing in one, one team. So you got Tongans, Samoans, Fijians, New Zealanders, New Zealand Europeans all in one one team so it brings a it's a pretty eclectic group in terms of dynamics and obviously each different players have different, different strengths um, in terms of Fijians are usually super quick powerful athletes um, same with the Samoans explosive and then you have the, the New Zealand European players that are really strong tall battlers you know they the, do all the physical work up front and it's a bit of a, a cliche but um, that's in a nutshell those are the different types of body types that come from those nations. Obviously, there's exceptions to every rule in that sense. As you're preparing them for the collisions that you said are not as the same as what maybe anybody over here in the States is thinking of rugby, what are some of the ways that you go about preparing them for that in any of their off-season time? Well, <laughs> that's a very open-ended question, but that's a great question. Um, we're just we're basically on a 12-week preseason now. Um, obviously, we, we try to build the bid rocks first, right? We build a foundation, right, to prepare them for the impact. So 
kind of a strong base, right? You build a foundation before you put on the frame, brother. So, <laughs> making sure we do all the, we build the strength in the squat pattern, the split squat pattern, the push pull, so they're robust and resilient enough for the impacts with the boys at the, the top level. So that's, that's where we start it. And then we look at how we transfer that force. So how the athletes, once they can produce and absorb force, right? To take an impact and make an impact. So those are two biggest things. How much force can we produce when we go into it? And how do we absorb that force? How strong are we to take that force on and carry forward? So those are two things I try to build up in my athletes in terms of force production and force absorption. And then being able to produce it in the right plane, right direction. You know, so we train everything vertically, which builds the muscles, the tissue, the strength, and then we want to be able to transfer it and say the, the horizontal direction rotational. So, how we get the transfer to sports. So, still need to build up the musculature with those main lifts, and then we look at how we do it with say we have sleds and scrum machines and impact and contact mats that the boys actually run into and smash into to produce force to actually express it. And then you take that to the field. They have actual contact training. We start with bags where the boys are hitting bags, and then they move to tackling themselves, tackling bodies. So that's kind of moving from controlled gym environment to the chaotic field environment in terms of how we prep the athletes. So this uh, first block, we have a four-week block where there's, there's no contact in this first block. It's just getting the bodies, reconditioning the bodies to prepare them for that contact and impact. Because we threw the whole kitchen sink at them week two, What's going to happen to our athletes? Take a guess. <laughs> yeah. So we've had we've had a pretty we've had a pretty good off season. The boys have had six eight weeks off. We've won the World Series this year, so we just let the boys' bodies fully recover and rest for another huge season. Because it's a long year. We had eleven tournaments last year. We got the Olympics next year, so we just want to get the boys as recovered as possible, so we can start to push them. So we got. A long build-up in the Olympics, which is next July. So we want to make sure we take the time now and not have broken athletes come to the Olympics. Because that's the most important thing: is the athlete healthy? Is he able to play or available to play? So we had a lot of injuries last year. Cause contact sport, you get a lot of injuries. So we went through probably with 14 guys that ended up playing. We probably went through 22 players last year to to field a team. So we had a lot of injuries. Let in a lot of young boys, which was great, a lot of newcomers. So we had a lot of 18, 19 years playing for us on the world stage, which was great experience for those kids. It'll make them better this year. So, yeah, it was a, a trying hey man, year. That, we had to be very adaptable. <laughs> that actually leads into one of my questions was, how do you then work with the coaches on the technical, tactical side? Because you talked about being in the weight room, everything vertical, translating horizontally. How do you work with the coaches in that aspect? And then how would you recommend our listeners build their relationships and work with their coaches? So we have a, we have a really good skills coach and, and D coach that come into the gym. They're in the gym with us. So the skills coach is in the gym when we're doing all the lifts. He's not coaching lifts, but there's mats and a track right beside it where he can do all the rugby-specific stuff within the within the gym session so we'll complex stuff and superset stuff within a session where the coach coaches technique so we might do a squat pattern and then it transitions as your superset into a tackle where the coach is coaching it or we might have a explosive or a heavy bench which leads into explosive pass with a med ball or rugby ball that the coach is coaching the actual pattern the skills coach is coaching the technique 
within the gym session. So that's, we build in like a gym skill complex, which is different, the different way of thinking, right? How you, basically the goal is to get more reps and touches for the athlete in their sport, not in the gym. So we're preparing to play the sport. So how do we, how do we do that? Yeah, they get 50 more touches in the gym every third day. That 150 a week added up, that skill is going to build exponentially, right? So it's how we, how we get more touches up for that athlete. If it's contact, if it's passing, if it's kicking, what what we what that person needs to build or work on. So that's one of the ways we do it. Um, I do all the loading models for the team, right? The running, contact, rugby load. So we work right beside each other, me and the coaches on, all right, what's this small-sided game look like? How big is this area? What are the rules? Is there contact? Is it scrag? Is it touch? How many players on the field? Is it 3v3, 5v5? And I have all the metrics to basically state how dense it's going to be so how much density that session is going to have how intense it's going to be based on how big the field is and how many players are on the field at once so it's it's a lot of pieces to the puzzle brother <laughs> no that's awesome to, how do you uh thing. no keep going sorry keep going yeah i guess the biggest thing for any snc coming into this world right now is what's actually important right there's so many different training techniques and programs and different ways to train the athlete. So much technology available to measure the athlete. So it's you can get lost in it if you if you're not clear. And you can only be clear if you have a foundation first. So you, as a coach, need to have that basic foundation. Those don't the foundation doesn't change. Anatomy, physiology, biomechanics they don't change. So you need to understand those first before you start applying all the advanced methods of training to your athletes. So like. We just got to make keep keep it simple at first, right? Don't venture too far out and make sure you get those big rocks right and don't chase those shiny toys. Cuz there's no there's no magic pill, brother. <laughs> no, no, there's not. And, the, and we're, I we're I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree about the the whole notion of I almost think that there's probably too much technology in sport. Um so, you know, talk about what you think about, you know, use of technology in sport, if you think there's too much, too little. But then I also am interested to hear how you progress your small-sided games, again, with, with all due respect of, you know, secrecy and whatnot. I'm not asking for specifics, but just kind of general heuristics of like, okay, I like to see these 3v3s or 3v4s, like just big macro level how you see it. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll probably touch on the games first and then go to the technology after because technology ends up being a bit sciencey. Um, yeah, in terms of small side of games, we kind of work from a, in our rugby environment that control the chaos continuum where training works from a closed to an open concept. But in terms of small small sided games, we'll have say speed days and acceleration days is a perfect example for our small sided games. Acceleration days we don't want the field to get too large so they don't actually open up and go above eighty percent of max speed. We want to keep it close, confined, there's a lot of change in direction, there's a lot of contact and bumping into each other, but they're not actually letting go and hitting that max speed because we're saving that exposure for another session. So we're getting that high density, high work rate but not the high intensity speed exposure. So an example there would be keeping the field, say, quarter field, quarter football field or rugby field in terms of space, but it still ends up being 5v5 or 7v7 to keep it lots of touches. and. Re so what happens here? If you go from 7v7 to 3v3, 
becomes more space and more time for that thing to make a decision and more space for them to run. So you're going to get clock up more meters the less people are on the field in that space. On the other hand, if you move to seven players, there's less time for them to react, so they have to be sharper with their skill set to execute a decision or play. So that's kind of how we look at our environment. The coaches will design a lot of these drills to, based on their attack and defensive strategies. I'll just give them the parameters, but the coaches build what they're going to do within that game. I'll just give them the parameters of field dimension and player number. <clears throat> we have something called ball and play. Uh, how much the ball is live. I'm not going to give away too much, but how much the ball is yeah, live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so the ball might be, for a, for a given game, let's say the ball is live for seven minutes out of 14. It's actually live for that period of time. That's the work in that game. So I have to build in the work to rest there. So average is one-to-one -one work to rest within a, within a game of rugby at the moment um, in terms of ball in and ball out. So we work around those parameters. We, work, we call it best-case scenario. Some teams call it worst-case scenario. Best-case scenario is the longest phase of play you've ever had to deal with or adapt to. So say the ball is in play for three minutes straight. Think of a ball being in play for three minutes in a football game. People will be in bits. So it's how the boys, how the boys can go to that dark place and take the other teams there because we want to be able to take them to a place where they can't compete anymore. So the goal is to get our fitness and conditioning up so high that w the worst case scenario becomes the best case scenario. So that's kind of the mindset we're working with with our players. So if I'm talking too fast, you need to explain anything, just slow me down. Cause no, you're good. That's actually something that a lot of our, our men's basketball and women's basketball coaches, you know, they, they, they have that carryover because in men's and women's basketball, there can be times between the first and second time out that if there's no ball, if there's no stoppage, if there's no penalty, uh, no fouls, if the ball doesn't <laughs> go out of bounds, if it's just basket for basket or, you know, missed shots and a rebound, the ball stays in play. So again, as you are, you know, building the demands, because you talked about, you know, the energy system demands being completely different. Like, what are some of the, again, big picture best ways that you like to, you know, build that good solid foundation for the boys so that way they can do that, right? And again, respect and privacy and whatnot, but like just general big picture heuristics. Yeah, so we, I still push a, an O2 foundation with the boys. I know it's old school, but it's um, I make sure they have a strong aerobic base. I don't develop during running because it's a, I don't want it to be running load. I just want it to be a cardiac load, a VO2 load on that athlete. So some of the stuff we do is we do slow, steady state. We do nasal breathing um, to help their tolerance, CO2 tolerance. We uh, It's always at the end of a day. So it's once all the big work's been done, then they hop on a bike for say 30 to 60 minutes and steady state, um, low intensity helps helps the muscles recover as well as give us a base for them as for the players as well. So we don't do as we do a lot of that in the preseason. We're 12 weeks right now. We do a lot of the base stuff at the end of the day in our preseason, and then uh, c come the season we just try to maintain it. We um, we'll do it at the end of the day two or three times a week. So it's it's more the consistency. Yeah, the boys are bored. But it's more the consistency. You're a professional athlete, brother. You're not sitting in a bank or digging ditches. You're a professional athlete. I think you can deal with this half an hour on the bike at 4 p.m. <laughs> Amen. You know? Would you guys have them watching any film or technical tactical work while they're doing that? Or are they just on the bike, you know, being with each other? They can be, but um, usually they're on their phones or iPads on there. We, we, let the, we let the phones come out when they sit on that. They're not, they're not in the gym, but we let the phones come out when they're actually just spinning on the bike at the end of the day. 
So, you know, that makes total that, sense. We, we haven't built that in yet, the tech tech with that session yet. So it's just any, kind of a decompress. Any big KPIs that you do use when you're, when you're helping track, whether it be the, cause you've talked, you know, about the, the weight room and, and squatting, any, any big picture, like, you know, it's max velocity in your fly 10 used to be like the big, big, big thing a year ago and strength and conditioning over here in America. Um, not sure if, you know, what are the big ones you differentiate in the weight room and on the field? Yeah, so, yeah, obviously wellness is a big part of our environment, so um, that's one key. And then in the weight room, I'd say we measure jumps every week. We measure Nordics every week. So we, we have a look if, if strength's down and hamstrings, that's a big indicator of um, injury risk for our guys. If you're a higher risk, if, you're, if your strength's way down for, in your hamstrings after a big week or before a big session. Um, we do counter movement jump basic hands on hips, look at jump height off of impulse momentum, if the boys understand that. Don't use jump height based off of flight time. Players know to cheat that measure. <laughs> so if, you, if you've done a bit of biomechanics, if you, if you use any valve systems at the moment or, or Hawkins Dynamics or any of those type of systems, force plates, it's just what metrics are most important as well. So yeah, we'll look at, look at neural change and we'll look at um, worthwhile change based on that athlete's said score or standard standard deviation of that athlete over time. So it's getting a bit sciencey, but it's basically this athlete's norm. He jumps say two feet every time, or 24 inches is a standard. We look at his variation above or below that standard to see if he's peaking, adapting, or if he's fatigued in terms of a neural point of view. How long will you allow there to be any like? Okay, you start to see some deviation one day, slept bad, whatever. How long will you let there be deviation before you guys start to intervene or start to be like, hey, what's going on? We'll have a conversation on the day of if it's if it's two standard deviations below. We'll have a, we'll have a conversation that day. And usually it's something they're sore, they're tired, or they haven't slept because their kids yeah, are Yeah, hey, stressed it. out, like, something going on with the girl or family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, Bro, I've had that happen when I was at Iowa. It's like, oh, man, I'm stressed out about this exam or whatnot, like yeah. – but at the very least, it's it's kind of forcing that conversation, right? Just creates a conversation. We don't pull them out of training right away. It just creates a conversation piece for us to see if there's anything physical that they can't perform the training. So if something physical, we'll take we'll pull them out of training, and if it's not, we'll we'll discuss with the coaches if he should be in. But they're usually in training unless it's something that's going to actually put them at risk of injury. Oh, that's that's good too. And then for we used to do something similar like that when I was at Towson, where you know I'd assess, give it to the AT. Hey, you know I see a little bit of a differentiator between right and left side. Is that how you go about doing it too? And is that how you recommend to people? Yeah, it's like, so hey, we see something. From yeah, a pure ahead. output point of view, yeah, we just look at the output differences. But if we're doing, uh, we look at asymmetry and where they usually are. If there's a huge gap. That comes down to baseline testing, but if there's a huge difference, a huge asymmetry, if it's over 15%, it flags us regardless if it's their, their norm or if it's just low on that day. Um, and we, yeah, we got a pretty good testing battery in place where we measure, we call it a resiliency profile in our athletes. Yeah. Yep. So we'll give you all the tests we use, but we, <laughs> we basically look at the whole body in terms of how resilient it is and how, where the asymmetries and deficiencies are and try to mitigate them. <clears throat> are you a big fan personally of whether it be the Nordic or because you talked about the Nord board? Do you like the Nordic more? Do you like the ISO, whether it's the 30, the 60, or the Razor? You just kind of, like you said, using them all and just kind of building a baseline? I like Razor as a 
training stimulus. The boys can cheat it on a, if they got super strong hamstrings and do it on a normal, it's gonna spike their force usually at the end range if they're super strong versus just doing a straight, straight lower. So mm -hmm. for training modalities, yeah, all of those, from a testing point of view, make sure it's, it's um, controlled and standardized, right? So if your razor's your test, that's your test for the year kind of thing to track their progress over time. Yeah. If it's a straight up Nordic where they're just lowering, that would be your test for the year. Right? It's just making sure it's standardized and then you get less variation and it's more meaningful measure. In a for sense. any of our listeners so we'll that do, do, um, we'll go ahead, keep going, keep going, sorry. sorry. We do ISO pulls and ISO holds with the hamstrings a lot. So one's just a hold, which is a standard where you're not producing force, you're just holding your body. And there's a pull where you actually pull isometrically into something. So it's a different stimulus for the muscle. It's actually attempting to move concentrically. So it's a bit greater force output and muscle activity when you look at a hold versus a, versus a pull of the hamstring. So we build those into our end of our strength sessions on say a Monday. If, we're, if we have to run fast Tuesday, we're not gonna do our Nordics on Monday night. So it's building your program the safest way possible to make them stronger, make them better, but still be able to perform the main thing, rugby at the end of the day without risking injury. So maybe you have to do your Nordics or your posterior chain stuff after the speed session, which is, which is fine. So you don't want to do it before. You want to make sure you build your training in around to help the athlete be the best on the field. Yeah, no, amen to that. And when you talked about doing the Nordics and razors in training, do you have it fully hooked up to the either laptop or iPad? Or are yeah. you just letting them use the apparatus? Because I've seen athletes and coaches do both. So some players can run it on their own. <laughs> but uh, usually our, our head physio will be watching over the boys and make sure they're, if they're, because some days we don't have any technology. It's just a day without tech where they actually just need to train and not worry about yeah. a number. Just to yeah. actually work through the movement and technique where, it's important yeah. to make sure we do this and not just look at the output because then we just look at output technique can vary quite a bit from where we want it to be yeah so we'll sometimes just have it gone and just coach the skill properly and then some days we'll have it where at least once a week we'll have it where we measure the output and it's usually run by the physio overseeing the players do it so nordic the players can run on their own all the other tests we measure if we have a tendo or gym aware in the building We'll use it and test the guys on their velocity output and their jumps and loaded jumps. Force plates will run, but Nordics and uh, force frames the athletes can use as well. Oh, Most that's nice. So groin, abductor, adductor. As you're getting prepared for the Olympics, this is something that our American at, uh, coaches, not a majority of them have done. Um, just kind of talk about how that how psychologically demanding that is because it is the Olympics, right? Like, just can you kind of explain what that's like for them? Yeah, so we have a, we have a really good team of sports psych and, and a mind team on our, on our hands. We got a, like a spiritual leader and a psychological leader for our athletes. So it's, it, we build into training scenarios that challenge the athlete to deal with pressure and stress. So he makes it as hard as possible on them. So he'll come in and... Basically, within a session, he'll give them challenges that are going to challenge the system maybe to adapt and overcome any situation. So I can't give all the details on how we do it in training, but we'll change the training environment that 
that forces the player to adapt, which isn't, isn't a normal, because usually players just run on, do their normal rugby session, where he'll throw stuff in to actually challenge their system to be able to adapt to anything that happens on the field or training at any given day. You know, An example that's... would be, okay, we're supposed to train at 9 o'clock. Um, boys are all ready to train. We're all ready to run out. He's like, oh, stop. Training doesn't start until 9.15. Get him cool down, warm up again, and go again. So it's things like that do happen with sevens because games do get delayed and do start. So it's making sure you're fully prepared that way for a game. But from a, a mental point of view, we want to treat every tournament the same. So we have 10 tournaments prepared for the Olympics. In your mindset needs to be that it's just another tournament. Yeah, I know it's the Olympics, but we treat every tournament like it's the Olympics or the vice versa. The Olympics is just another tournament that we're preparing our bodies and minds for to, to perform. So obviously preparation is key. If you're fully about, prepared, yeah. How about travel? Like how difficult is it getting all of the, the things in place in you know, how do you go about working with everybody else in that high-performance team? Because at least we have coaches that understand how to best work within the high-performance team and whatnot. Travel, no, we're quite good with travel. We have really good travel plans. We had a travel heat specialist with us. Um, me and the physio, which is the athletic trainer, will run the travel plan. So we start to pair three to five days out in terms of shifting our sleep patterns to get ready for the next environment, the next place we're going. Or the humidity, we'll have, we'll have we have a heat and humidity chamber. So we'll prepare athletes for the heat, say in Dubai or Hong Kong before we even leave. So two weeks before we even leave, we'll put them in the heat chamber three days a week to prep their bodies, to be prepared for that stimulus. So it's these are little things we do to prep them for that environment. Obviously the best thing to do is go there early, but easier said than done is to go to the environment early. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. That's incredible stuff. Um, what so has been Olympics, the biggest... Oh, keep going, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So for the Olympics, we'll go there early, so we'll, we'll adapt in the environment. So we'll acclimatize there. We'll do a bit of, bit of heat stuff before we leave, but the most adaptation we're going to get is in the environment. So when we're in France, we're there for three weeks before the tournament even starts, so we have a lot of time to acclimatize and adapt to the environment. So that's plenty of time. Usually we only have five days to adapt to an environment, so how we do that before we leave, before we get on the plane and get off the plane, how we do that better. We've heard um, members here have heard about, you know, the travel and then with rugby sevens a little bit. So they're a little bit familiar. Is there any of your favorite quote unquote ways to get the guys moving during travel days or once you get to the travel hotel just to get them moving? So that way, um, because we do have some, some of our members that have their athletes travel by bus a lot, or they, they're doing that. So just being able to pick the brain of somebody like you. Yeah, I mean, it's just making sure they move. What we do though, we always, we have a pool mobility session every time we land. So we got 30 minutes in the pool, help soothe the bodies, let the range of motion, no gravity acting on them. So it's a really good way to get them moving properly and really get, get them back engaged is have 
either the captain or leader or player or yourself lead a game in the pool with them. So some sort of fun to like yeah. take their mind off them being sore and tired and jet lagged. So it's how you do that just to flick the switch. That's so a heck have, of an uh, idea. We have something called a triangle, we're a performance triangle. So we have a, and we want to make sure we hit this the whole week in our training environment. So it's, we have fun then connection. We have edge and growth. So are they getting better? And then we have focused work where they're actually doing hard work. So if we nail that triangle every week, we know we've got that holistic approach for that athlete and they're having a creative, really good environment. So it's a really simple way of thinking of it and keeping the athletes engaged and everyone um, working together well. So we, yeah, we call it performance triangle basically. And make That's sure you, awesome. hit this. you check your own environment in the gym. Are you hitting this? Are you having any fun? Are you doing any focus work? Are you creating edge and growth in that athlete? So it's how do you hit these three pillars within your, your week or your day? Yeah, there's some sessions that are just focus. Some sessions on a Friday might be dress up, which has fun. Like you might be wearing 80s clothes or something, whatever the players want to do. So things like that, how you, how you make the environment a positive place to be and not just fucking work. Man, that's something that I hope our listeners can hear about with the fun because that's just got to make it so much more enjoyable. And have you found that guys might even focus better right afterwards because they kind of they, – they, they laugh? They lift better. They move better. Yeah. They're faster. They're already – they're up. It's like a it's like an upper when you don't even need to give them a pill. That's awesome. And like I, I feel like that's something though that over here in the States, people would be fighting though. It's not something that they would actually engage. But you said it's just kind of been an embedded in, in the culture, right? So the players have to drive it or it won't happen. You need a team, leadership team of players that want it to happen. Can't be you as the coach. The players need to want to do it. So yeah, if, I mean, you, you, if take, you have a team yeah, that's strong enough, you pick a, pick a couple players that lead that. You're, you're in charge of fun this season. What are you going to do for us every week, every month? That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. You give awesome. them a little budget if you have one to, to whatever they need to do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of budget, um, you know, it, you've been an entrepreneur for a while now, right? What has been some of the biggest uh, lessons that you've, you know, learned along the way that you can provide to some of our coaches that are trying to, you know, learn that side and learn um, how to do that themselves? So you cut out a bit, but I... Basically, the gist of it is how would, what advice would I give any entrepreneurs in the industry? Yeah, our young coaches that are trying to you know, establish and get some footing like that. So, good question, brother. Um, first, first thing is, is start now, brother. Don't, don't wait till tomorrow. So, there's no, it's like having a kid. There's no right time to jump into it. You're always going <laughs> to be nervous about... Oh, is it going to work? Am I going to make any money? Are the clients going to like me? Just jump in, bro. Like, have a plan, but jump in. Let go. We call it, in the psychological world, they call it just let go, meaning just mm-hmm. don't worry about everyone else's opinion, just the people you trust, and just just build from there. So it's, it, more, it mostly comes down to your mindset. And then hopefully the product you're trying to sell is worthwhile, as in you. So you basically start now. What would I give you? Three things. Start now. Invest in yourself. Ignore opinions you don't care about or that don't matter. Those would be three things. No, and I feel like that is, that's a good piece of advice for our listeners out there because they've been wanting to do it, but, I mean, for the longest time, how often is it you're always just so concerned about what other people are going to think about you, right? Who gives a fuck? I mean, who, who cares? Seriously, <laughs> really? who cares? 
No, I agree with you. And like that, just having that, who gives a fuck? But like over here in America, at least, I don't know how it is over there. It's everybody is very, very conscious. I mean, and again, you were in, you were in Canada, you weren't here in America before, but everybody's so concerned about, oh, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, it's not like that. No. So if you don't think you're smart enough, they're thinking the same thing too. So just, just get out there and and try it. And if you want to learn, find someone, find a mentor. That's another step. Find someone that you idolize that is already doing it and reach out to them. Yeah, That'd no, amen. Be one of the, yeah, what are the good steps to do? And if that person isn't available, go to the next one. So it doesn't happen overnight, but you just you keep, if you're persistent and consistent, it will. It'll come together for you. How have you been able to handle the responsibilities of work and trying to be a family man too? Because like, we've had coaches talk about this before, but what, what's your best piece of advice? Pick a good wife. <laughs> Anybody that's not watching, she's right there with him as he's recording. Yeah, so. <laughs> but he's not wrong. I mean, I did. I my wife's not right here next to me, but she's she listens to the show. But I mean, I know I I had a good wife too that understands. I mean, we moved when she was seven months pregnant. For anybody that's not aware of my story, but yeah. Yeah, you gotta buy into the environment. Like everyone's gotta be on board because it's it's not a nine to five job. Right, so you gotta have a strong family foundation, man. You gotta really and and take the time you have to do fun stuff, go on adventures with your family, actually do something. Don't just hit the couch and lie down. Like when you have a weekend off, go do something with your family, even if you are tired. <laughs> so it's it's make take making the most of your time on a day to day basis with your family and at work. So yeah, the biggest thing there is making sure you have planned vacations, planned stuff you're going to do each month with them. So it's actually exciting for everyone. You're not just in the grind. So that's something we've tried to do quite a bit. You just make sure we have an adventure plan for us and the kids. 100%. But there's no such thing as balance. There's ebbs and flows in my mind. Which leads to the balance, though, no? Because, like, you got the waves behind you, right? Like, there's some days where there's big crashing waves when you're out there trying to surf, and there's some days where it's like, hey, it's not here. But at the very least, you're still going out and you're surfing, and you're still trying to do those things to progress. Well, like I said, I... I don't want to take up more of your time because, you know, you, you and I talked before that you, you got some friends uh, that you're going to go help out with because anybody that's listening and there's been any of a time delay, we are filming 17 hours, multiple time zones. Like, so he's in the future right now. Uh, but anybody that's listened to us this far, is there anywhere that they can continue to learn from you um, on social media? We're going to add it to the show notes at, at the bottom, but anywhere in specific you want them to follow you. Yeah, so Insta... Instagram and LinkedIn are the two main platforms I, I work off of at the moment. Um, I also have a book out there I can send a link to. It's on Instagram. Um, it's just on how to be an athlete. It's basically all the gold nuggets on how to become. It's a short guide. It's maybe 30 pages on ways you can help you be a better athlete. Um, applicable to becoming a good coach as well. I, we just haven't wrote that book yet. But uh, it's basically some, some gold nuggets from the past on ways you can be, be better and set up yourself Nah, we're gonna link that down in the show notes but man i appreciate you taking the time at the beginning of your day to to share some insights with our listeners so thank you very much and have a good rest of the day it's been a pleasure brother and if anyone's down in new zealand just reach out and play based in a little beach town called mount Maunganui. it's a, a beautiful place it's a beautiful part of the world so any of your listeners down this way let, let me know i'll show you around sounds good brother later all right